Welcome to Windsor Christian Fellowship Church Podcast. Our church vision is to win generations to Christ, connect them to His master plan, empower them to succeed and grow the kingdom of God. For other podcast resources or more information about Windsor Christian Fellowship, please visit us at www.wcf.ca. Last week we started our new series, on contrast, as Pastor RJ spoke on the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of this world. And this week, we have the privilege of introducing Pastor RJ again, where he will be speaking on strength versus weakness. So please help us in welcoming him to the stage. Thank you, Luke. Good morning, everyone. I was here last week. So I am so glad you are all here today. That was a very fun retro set of worship. Oh, yeah. That's, that's I, uh, yeah, a lot, of, a lot of memories came back during some of those songs from a long time ago. Okay. Now, um, so today I'm going to be continuing the contrast series on strength and weakness. I tried to do my best to do contrast. My wife uh, went away. She's on a little trip right now, and, and so I tried to dress myself. Um, <laughs> As best I could, someone said, you look like something out of the 90s. And I said, I probably bought this tie in the 90s. <laughs> You're probably right. <laughs> so uh, last week we were talking about the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of this world. And this whole series is really kind of contrasting or showing you the marked difference between how the kingdom of God operates and how the kingdom of this world operates. So the main idea that I want to get to today, if I can, is... In our human weakness, that's the greatest time in your life when God is going to show himself strong. And then I'm going to jump over here because I'm going to say this. Evolutionary theory, which is really a joke anymore. It's actually a joke because if you're a real scientist, evolutionary theory can't even get past the fossil record. I talk to people about this all the time in the world, and they say, oh, evolution happened. I'm like, it did? Can you show me in the fossil record where evolution happened? They can't. It says this, though, only the strong survive. Survival of the fittest. How many have heard of that? And then Darwin, who was instrumental in that. I mean, they even have these things called the Darwin Awards for people that end their lives accidentally in very foolish ways. Not going to go into those. But the world teaches and adheres to this theory, okay, that man evolved from nothing, that something came from nothing, that man evolved over millions of years. Um, Not even the science of it, the math of it is impossible. But what I want to get to is this. The Bible teaches, in contrast to the evolutionary theory, that God created the heavens and the earth. Okay, so you've got this contrast in ideologies. One says we evolved out of nothing from nothing came something. And one says that there was a designer that created humans. Now, I will suggest to you that there is some versions of faith where they try to blend humanism and its quasi-science with Christianity and the truth from the Bible. And they say that God used the evolutionary process to create humans, which is nonsense. In fact, It's such a false theory in my mind, it's right up there with astrology, which is another quasi-science. 
And, and you say, what's wrong with astrology? Okay, in simplest forms, I predict by looking at the stars last night that this week on a day that ends with the letter Y, you will wake up and eat something that your taste buds like. How am I doing? You all woke up, eh? <laughs> or, you know, you're going to talk to someone on one of those days that ends with a Y, and you're going to walk away and you're going to wonder why. I would suggest to you that we as Christ followers should not replace prayer and hearing the voice of God, the revealed truth from the written word of God, the scriptures, and trade it in for someone that's looking at the stars and trying to tell you how you're going to live your life. Amen. But see, these things come in really innocently. Like, I mean, how many of you have looked at your fortune cookie and you love getting your fortune? I mean, I saw one one time that said, help, I'm a prisoner in the fortune cooking factory. Please come save me, cookie factory, you know? Like, that was the best one ever. But see, in your relationship with God, there's contrast between how the kingdom of the world works and how the kingdom of God operates. And, and we see this in strength and weakness a lot. So people talk about strength, and I think there's like nine to 11 definitions of strength, depending on which dictionary you're looking at. The first one has to do with the quality or state of being strong physically. Ah, raw. Okay. Some of the definitions refer to the ability to resist force or to resist attack. Other definitions, they attribute it to strength of will or morality or character in not quitting or giving up or yielding to the opponent. Strength. I'm going to read a passage from Jeremiah 17 in verses 5 to 10. This is what the Lord says. So Jeremiah's communicating whose words? This is what the Lord says. So that's God's words, right? And he says, Cursed are those who put their trust in mere humans who rely on human strength and turn their hearts away from the Lord. That's a pretty strong statement. Then he says they're like stunted shrubs in the desert with no hope for the future. You ever been to the desert? Have you seen the plant life in the desert? It's limited at best. They will live in a barren wilderness in an uninhabitable or uninhabited salty land. Um, you want to create a barren garden? Go add some salt to it. See how that does for your tomatoes. Um, blessed are those. Salt is good on tomatoes that are um, grown, but not while they're growing. <laughs> but blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and confidence. They're like trees planted along a river bank with roots that go deep in the water. Such trees are not bothered by the heat or worried by the long months of drought. Their leaves stay green and they never stop producing fruit. And then he says, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things. How many have a heart? How many know your heart can deceive you? It can mislead you. Some of you didn't know your heart could deceive you. How many have feelings? 
How many know your feelings are valid and real to you? How many know your feelings are not always accurate? Some of you going, what do you mean? My feelings are truth. The heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? But I, the Lord, search the heart and examine secret motives. I give all people their due rewards according to what their actions deserve. So from this passage in Jeremiah, there's some conclusions that I am able to come to and draw from. And I'm gonna kind of work through them progressively and let's see how we do. The first challenge that I see with relying on your own strength to accomplish God's assignment on your life. Because how many of you know God has an assignment on your life? See, Jesus, he gave us the great commandment and the great commission. The great commandment, love your Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And equal to it, love your neighbor as yourself. How many know this? Okay. So God says to love God and love people. Great commandment. He also gave us what? The great commission. Go and tell the world about me. Make disciples who make disciples. So God has given you an assignment in his revealed word in the Bible. He's written it down. He's made it very plain and clear to you as a Christ follower that he wants you to love him. He wants you to love others and he wants you to go and tell others about him. And in that, you go and you make disciples who make disciples. You make people or you train people or you equip people so that they could have the tools to do the things that Christ has called us to do based on what he's revealed to us in his book. Now, Here's the problem with accomplishing God's assignment when you rely only on your own strength. It leads to devastating results. Self-reliance is depending on your own strength instead of God's. The first thing that happens is we humans stop relying on God to meet our needs. We begin to think that we don't need God to accomplish his purposes. And then your center in Christ moves away from him and your relationship with him starts falling to the wayside. Now, if you've been married for more than five minutes, some of you, some of you will be married again in the future. Some of you are just living the single life and loving it. But want you to understand something, okay? In a covenant relationship like marriage with a husband and a wife together in a covenant relationship if they do not spend any time together in relationship how many know they're going to be drifting apart <laughs> some of you go that's my problem <laughs> we need to spend some time together the same is true in your relationship with Christ if you're not spending any time with him how can you get to know him See, you meet people, I mean, I probably could bump into someone that saw me wear this tie 30 years ago when I first bought it. <laughs> but we haven't seen each other since that day. And while you meet someone that you haven't seen in 30, hey, it's so good to see you, I haven't seen you in forever. And they look at you and go, yeah, it's good to see you. What's going on in life? And it's this awkward because you went in this direction and they went in that direction. And 30 years later, you're in very different places, are you not? It's kind of you remember the history and that's all you got to talk about. 
but there's nothing now that's real and tangible that you're connecting with. Are you following this? So what happens is you can't let your relationship with Christ fall to the wayside. And then as a result of that, though, when you stop relying on God to meet your needs, you become immature because you stop growing. You stop maturing. You know, the truth is you grow when you're connected to the source of life. It's just like, you know, this morning I saw some grapes on the counter in my kitchen that one of my kids so um, amazingly left there. So the grapes sitting on the counter, do you think that those grapes are going to continue to mature and become crispy, full grapes that are crunchy when you, or do you think that they're going to start the process of decay now that they're disconnected from the vine? Over time, I'm going to have some raisins sitting on my counter, not grapes, or some rotten grapes. Okay, and what, what happens is you, when you disconnect from Christ, you stop growing and maturing. The truth is you have all the answers already, so what do you need God for? How many times have you prayed to God only after you've exhausted every other possibility that you can think of and you're desperate? Don't answer that aloud. I don't need to know. Why don't we pray first and ask the creator of the universe what he thinks before we get into situations and make decisions? And then in the book of James, doesn't it talk about if you lack wisdom, what are you supposed to do? Ask for it. But you don't have because you don't ask And there's a lot of people walking around without wisdom because they don't ask for it because they think they know everything. Oh, come on, don't look at me so piously. When you become immature, you start focusing on the wrong things. The thing that's not important becomes the thing that's important. Your relationship with God gets questioned and scrutinized to the point that you stop seeing his goodness operating in your life. When you stop seeing the goodness of God operating in your life because you're so focused on the negative things around you, do you think that's going to lead you to a healthy place? I mean, I saw this, what do they call him, a meme the other day? And I was laughing because the, uh, it, was, it, was, it was parents' relationship with their children and it said, when the kids are living at home and they could have a steak dinner and they say, we ain't had nothing but maggoty meat for three stinking days, you know, this food sucks. (laughs) And then the kids that move out on their own and they have to buy their own food, they've got like a grain of rice on the table and they're like, oh, one bite will fill my stomach for three days. (laughs) Are you catching this? See, perspective, right? And, And... You focus on the wrong things, the wrong things become more important and your life is going to go down and down and down and down. And too many people that say that they follow Christ, they don't focus on Christ and his word and look to the hope that he's given us. They look around and they see things falling apart all over them and they go, oh my gosh, this world is falling apart. But when you focus on the long things for too long, what happens? The fruit of the Spirit stops operating in your life. You stop producing the fruit of the Spirit. If you don't know what that is, over in Galatians 5, it talks about these are the things that are the works of the flesh. And then it says, and these are the works of the Spirit or the fruit of the Spirit. 
Things like love and joy and peace and gentleness and kindness. They stop operating in your life. Why? Because pride and self-will partner with self-reliance and you cease allowing the Spirit of God to transform you from the inside out. And you become selfish and self-centered and it's about you and not about others anymore. And as a result of that, you become barren and unfruitful in the things that you're trying to accomplish. Your ministry area, you'll stop making disciples who make disciples. You'll stop leading people to the truth. You'll stop sharing the goodness of God and the love of God with others. And then when you get to that place, your hope fades. Your world becomes a dry, unproductive wilderness. I've been in the wilderness. I've been in the desert. I've seen the cactuses. That's my cactus impression. Your efforts to achieve become more and more frustrated when you reach this place. You feel like you're running as fast as you can and you're not getting anywhere. You're like the hamster on the wheel. You're going, but nothing's happening. There's a lot of movement and action, but no, nothing, nothing, nothing's going anywhere. You try so hard and you feel like you fail. You become more and more, you see, you fail in your own strength. And the hopelessness of your situation begins to overwhelm your soul and it takes the fight out of you. You just give up your will to fight. Sucks the life out of you. And when you get to that place, you begin to isolate yourself from community. The community of believers, your family. You stop trusting others. You begin to do everything all by yourself. Listen, I learned a long time ago, I can do many things, but there's some things that are better to let other people do because they can do it better. But that requires trust. I mean, have you ever seen a one-man hockey team win? Oh, you're talking about last night where the goalie stood on his head and pulled horseshoes and had the game of his life? Yeah, that, that is a good game. Good game. I mean, in, in this region, Windsor and Detroit do a tug of war every year when they celebrate the Freedom Festival. How many of you know this? Can you imagine one guy walking up saying, well, I can take on the whole other team by myself. I am strong. And he grabs the rope by himself against a whole team of people on the other side. You know what's going to happen to him? Exactly. He's going to be swimming with the fishies. Why? You were made for community. You weren't made to do life alone. You need other people. You need community. You need people around you. You weren't created to isolate and go and be by yourself. And see, when we look at this passage in Jeremiah 7, when you rely only on human strength, it turns your heart away from God because you put yourself in a place where you know everything and you don't need his guidance and his wisdom. And your world becomes smaller and smaller and you become fruitless and you become barren in your life and you're not producing anything of substance or value. And then he reminds you in this passage, when you put your trust in the Lord, when you put your hope and confidence in him, it'll transform the way you live and you won't live in a barren wilderness, but you'll become like a tree planted by a river. And it doesn't matter when the storms of life come, when the dry seasons, you'll be able to endure and you'll be able to continue producing fruit. And then he cautions us and warns us that our heart can deceive us. It can be a really wicked thing, your heart. 
And that's why it's really important that we allow the word of God to search our heart and let God examine our heart. Because he can discern your motives while you do what you do. And at the end of the day, you need to look at that last verse where it says, I give all people their due reward according to what their actions deserve. And see, for me, that tells me this. Even when people seem like they're getting away with stuff that isn't right, even when life seems unfair, even when you wonder why good things happen to bad people, God says, I will give each person a reward according to their actions and they will get what they deserve. I don't know about you, but I think he can do that more redemptively and better than I ever could. So that leads us to Romans 8, 26. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we, for example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. I don't know about you, but I find myself more and more often these days facing situations, facing, encountering people, and, and there is no words to say to people. What do you say to a parent that's lost their child when you're standing beside them in the funeral home or in the hospital or on the side of the road? What do you say? Like, there's some things that are just beyond words. And yeah, we, we want to bring, but for praying, we have this gift of the Holy Spirit and, and our spirit can pray more perfectly than we can because I think it bypasses our brain. And I think that when you're praying, that can be a good thing. Now, there's other times we bypass our brain and that's very foolish. For instance, years and years ago, I was teaching in kids' church. And I was talking to the kids, 9, 10, 11-year-olds. I don't know what grade that is, but anyway, that age group. And there was about 60 of them in the room. And I was saying to these kids, I said, listen, guys, Jesus, after he resurrected and got a new body, he walked through the wall and just appeared in the room. I said, how many of you can walk through walls? And before I could do anything (laughs) that bypassed the brain thing, One of the guys stood up and said, I can't, and ran headfirst into a brick wall like that. See, when you're praying, this gets in the way because there's a lot of doubt and unbelief in there sometimes, okay? There's a lot of cares of this world in there sometimes. But when you're praying, you want your spirit to just connect with God. And there's a lot of times we don't know the words, so we just pray. We pray in this unknown tongue, and and we let... Our spirit deep calls out to deep and spirit connects to spirit and heart to heart. And we let our spirit pray through some things. And you have to come to that place where you can just, okay, God, I don't know what to do here. And then connected to this, in Ephesians 6.10, a final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. In the last couple weeks, I was talking a little bit about the armor that God has given us. You cannot stand against darkness without God's power. People try to do this kind of stuff. Oh, I can fight the darkness on my own. How's that working for you? The world system and sin, it will lure you in if you let it. 
Now, here's the nerd in me. And someone at first service told me that I'm a really big nerd, but that's okay. And, and I always try to get these illustrations in when I can. And some of you aren't gonna have a clue what I'm talking about, and that's okay. I'll, I'll explain in a minute. In the Lord of the Rings universe, which is a nerdy thing, I'm gonna mention this. And if you know what I'm talking about, you know, if you don't, you don't. Gandalf has a ring, Narya. And you're like, what? And Thorin, who is a dwarvish king, dwarven king, gave some armor to a guy named Bilbo who gave it to his nephew, Frodo, and it was made out of mithril, or mithril. Thank you. My point, when Gandalf's presence was with Frodo and Frodo was wearing the mithril armor, it slowed the sway of evil on Frodo's life because of the evil ring that he was carrying. Okay. And my point in telling you that is simply this. As Christ followers, when you put on the armor of God and you stay in your relationship with Christ and you're praying on a continual basis, you're staying in the word of God, it will prevent you from falling into evil. Because you see, in the book, when Gandalf went away and he lost the armor, suddenly the ring of evil started influencing him in his actions, in his attitudes, in his life. And you as a Christ follower, when you stop praying and connecting with your creator and you stop reading the truth from the word of God, the world system will come in and it will start influencing your behavior and your actions and your attitudes before you even know what's happening. You start slipping away from Christ in your relationship with him. In 2 Corinthians 13, three and four, Paul's talking and he says, I'll give you all the proof you want that Christ speaks through me. They were challenging his apostleship, which is amusing seeing as the Corinthian church kind of existed because of Paul. (laughs) But Christ is not weak when he deals with you, he's powerful among you. And then he says, although he was crucified in weakness, and that's a strange statement, he now lives by the power of God. We, too, are weak, just as Christ was, but when we deal with you, we'll be alive with him and we'll have God's power. Let me ask you, do you think when Christ went to the cross and died that it was a sign of his weakness? I mean, really, in this flesh, he was crucified And he died. There's a weakness in that. I mean, perspective, he willingly gave his life up because the truth is um, he didn't have to allow himself to be crucified. I mean, think about this. Have you ever been in a situation and you thought to yourself, I've never done anything to deserve this? I've never hurt anyone. Has anyone said those words? Be real. I see some of you shaking your head. You're the honest ones. But the thing is, when you think you've never done anything, the truth is we've all hurt other people, so that might be a little bit embellished. But in certain situations, you may have done nothing to offend someone, or you may have done nothing wrong, but you feel like you're being penalized for it. 
interesting because Christ really did nothing wrong, but he was penalized for your wrong choices. In simple terms, my sin put Jesus on the cross. Just like your sin put Jesus on the cross. He didn't go there because of his sin. He went there because of our sin. You catching me? You following this? And see, can you imagine if Jesus kind of pulled out that card and said, well, I didn't do anything wrong to anybody. I didn't do anything to deserve this. And he's up on the cross. And instead of saying, Father, forgive them. They know not what they've done. He goes, forget this. Angels, kill all the Romans. I'm done. And he pulls himself off the cross and walks away. He could have done that. It says he had 12 legions of angels. That is, he could have easily called 12 legions, 144,000 angels. It's a lot of angels. Considering one can kill how many people in one night? Oh my goodness. The Romans didn't stand a chance against one, let alone 12 legions of them. He could have easily got off the cross. But he chose to endure the cross because he had to die so that we can live. And now that he lives, we can live. And see, by him experiencing the weakness in the flesh, he was able to be strong now that he is the righteous judge. And for you and I, when we allow the earth suit, the flesh and its desires to die, that's when the strength of God comes forth. So when you take your self-will and your selfish ambition and your self-reliance and you lay it down at the foot of the cross, that's a sign that you're dying to yourself. You're dying to the things that you want and you're allowing God to resurrect life inside of you to accomplish his purposes so that you can fulfill his assignment. Because the truth is, the assignment that God has placed on your life to tell others about Jesus, to make disciples who make disciples, as we talk about often, if you don't go back a step and love others, why are you going to ever fulfill the assignment on your life if you only love yourself? See, I always get concerned for people that call themselves Christ followers but have no concern for the lost. They have no empathy or compassion for lost people that need to know the message of hope that we have within us. From what I can see, if you really love people, then you want people to know hope. You want people to know about Christ and the hope that he brings us that this life is not the end. See, for many people, this life with the good, the bad, and the ugly is the only heaven they're ever gonna see. This is the best there is for them because they'll spend eternity apart from Christ. But for us, this is the only hell we're ever gonna experience because when we go to the next life, we go to heaven. Why would you not want everyone to be in heaven with you? And while I'm there, Think for a moment about the person who's hurt you the most and done the most atrocious things to you. And people do some horrible things to other people. I was teasing one of my friends the other day because it was his birthday 
and um, Hitler celebrates the same birthday that my friend did. So I made sure that we could send him a little cake with a picture of Hitler and said, we're celebrating together. <laughs> Not nice, I'm sorry. <laughs> we're friends. How many say Hitler was not a nice guy? But you know, Jesus died for Hitler too. Just like he died for the person that hurt you the worst. Just like he died for you and all the people that you've hurt. But we don't want to talk about that in church today, Pastor. We don't want to talk about the people I've hurt. Let's talk about the people that have hurt me. Doesn't it feel better in your flesh to talk about how others have wronged you than it does to talk about how you've wronged others? Come on, let's be real. Philippians 4, 11 to 13, Amplified. Not that I speak from any personal need, for I've learned to be content and self-sufficient through Christ, satisfied to the point where I'm not disturbed or uneasy, regardless of my circumstances. I know how to get along and live humbly in difficult times. And I also know how to enjoy abundance and live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing life, whether well-fed or going hungry, whether having an abundance or being in need. Doesn't matter what Paul's facing when he wrote this, whether he's hungry or full, whether he's rich or not rich, whether he's comfortable or not comfortable, Paul says, here's the secret. I can do all things which he has called me to do. We forget about that sometimes when we quote this. Through him who strengthens and empowers me to fulfill his purpose. I'm self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiencies. In other words, my dependence on Christ makes me an overcomer. I have the ability to remain in Christ and conquer and overcome and accomplish anything to fulfill his purpose that he's called me to. I'm ready for anything and equal to do anything through him who infuses me with inner strength and confident peace. Paul's saying, I have the inner strength and peace that is required to accomplish the, anything that God has asked me to do. Sometimes we humans think God assigned us to do something, so we step off the ledge and end up in left field and wonder why we don't have inner peace and don't have the strength to do the things that we think God told us to do, but he didn't really tell us to do. I think I said that right. When I was in school, they taught us like this. There's the good thing, but it's not always the God thing. Okay? And we humans, we get sucked into the good thing all the time because it feels good to do good things. How many like to do good things? And we should. But in your life each day, you need to make sure you're connected enough to Christ that you're doing the God thing. Let me, let me go back. Shortly after I bought this tie, I was walking around in Manila, Philippines, where I was living. And if you've ever been there, um, man, there's a lot of people that live on this street, unfortunately. And by a lot, I mean many. And there's a lot of kids, too, that live on the street. Um, some because of their rebellion and they don't like the rules. Some because they're in horrible situations and they run away. But when you walk down the street... 
and you have some pesos or some money in your pocket and you see people with need and you're moved with compassion, you give away. The good thing is to bless all the people that have need. But then you run out of money and there's still more need that you can meet. Is it good to help the poor? Absolutely. God says, when you help the poor, you lend to him and he will repay. Okay. But I could give away everything I own and more and everything you owned and still not dent the poverty on the streets of Manila. So then I had to learn, God, who can I bless today? And as I walked down the street, I had him direct me to Aling Maria. I think I said that right. It's been a long time. There was one lady that God said, help her. So when I would walk by, I helped her each day. And there was another young man that whenever I would go buy myself some food, I bought him a meal. And then when I walked by, I gave him a meal each day. Could I help everybody? No, but could I help her? And could I help him? Because that's what God instructed me to do. Yes. And see, that's what I'm trying to get to where there's a lot of good things that will exhaust you and leave you bankrupt, but there's the God things that he tells you to do, the assignment that he's placed on your life, the things he's asking you to do each day. And if you can learn to focus on being obedient and doing what God has called me to do today, then you will start seeing the fruit. The truth is, over time, she moved off of the street into an apartment because she, we got her going with a little business and she seemed to do pretty good. Horrible situation, horrible story. But see, I don't know that when God says, go help this one or go do this. But I know that there's lots of good that we can do and we should be instruments of good in the world. Don't get me wrong. Good things are not bad. They're better than bad things. But if you're not seeing the fruit that you want just doing good, my suggestion to you is tune into the voice of the Holy Spirit who's speaking to your heart and fine-tune your efforts in the direction he wants you to go. I am self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency and I'm ready for anything and equal to anything through him who infuses me with inner strength and confidence Peace. Why? Because I can all do all things which he has called me to do through him who strengthens and empowers me. So what I'm trying to say to you is this relationship with Christ and understanding that there's areas of my life that I'm weak. My flesh is weak. My spirit can be weak. You know, I, I, I haven't really walked this particular road, but I've talked to people who have. And, you know, some people go through um, a program called 12 Steps. Have you heard of that? One of the steps is you yield to a higher power. Okay. But, you know, there's people out there that say, well, you can do it without the higher power, so skip that step. Well, then you're not doing 12 steps. You're doing 11 steps. And if you're not surrendering to something greater than yourself, you're not really surrendering at all. But people can and do beat addiction in their own power but most of the time they trade one addiction for another. One, one friend of mine um, in this, I'll just use this as an illustration, 
got free from alcohol and drug dependency. And I commend, in this case, it's a her, for that. But she traded the addiction to substance to addiction to bad relationships and she finds herself in bad relationships continually. Because when you do it in your own power, nothing changes to heal the brokenness in the heart. So you go from one bad solution to another bad solution. And people say, well, I picked myself out of the mud and I'm self-made. Yeah, maybe. But if you end up in pride, you're no further ahead. See, Jesus alone can rewrite a heart. Did everyone hear me say that? Jesus alone. There's many religions out there. There's many religious systems out there. But without Christ transforming the heart from the inside out, nothing changes. That's why Jesus makes statements like, you must be born again. Or, I make all things new. Because the transformation that has to take place in your heart can only take place by a work of his spirit. So why don't you stand up with me for a moment? And I want you to visualize this right now because there's a lot of people that seek strength outside of Christ. And there's many people that can't even acknowledge their weakness. We all have them. Just maybe close your eyes and visualize your weakness. The things that trip you up, the things that are a catch for you. Maybe it's loneliness or brokenness or hurt or pain or shame. Maybe it's grief. Maybe it's anger. I don't know what your weakness is. But I know that our flesh in and of itself is weak. And we all have broken areas in our lives. And I want you to picture yourself taking those areas of weakness and going to the cross and laying it down at the foot of the cross and saying, I don't need this anymore. Jesus, please let me exchange these things for your life-giving power. And for those of you that look at me and say, well, I'm good. I don't got nothing to lay down. I'd like you to take your pride and your self-righteousness and I'd like you to go put it down at the foot of the cross. Because the truth is, all of us need to trade our weakness for his strength. In the book of Psalm 73, verse 26, my health may fail, my spirit may grow weak, but God remains the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. Do you know that as they sang about seeing the face of God, my thoughts went to this morning, that in our flesh, we are weak. We can't even handle the full presence of God and his glory. If God showed up in all of his splendor and glory, we would be undone. We'd be consumed. That's why Jesus said, you get a new body that can handle my presence in its fullness. And yes, we carry him within us. But if you wanna see the glory of God most fully revealed in your life, God is so holy that man, us in our broken state would have a hard time entering into his presence except by the blood of Christ. And see, 
throughout the scriptures, people that encountered God, they fell on their face like they were dead. They made statements like I just used, I'm undone. I'm in so much trouble, God, if you reveal all of your glory. But see, Jesus went to the cross and he said, lay down your weakness. Receive forgiveness that my blood made available to you at the cross. I was a sacrifice for your sin. And in that exchange, because of Christ, because of his blood, because of his mercy, we can enter into the presence of the Lord with blood. Just like the priest in the Old Testament could only enter in the Holy of Holies with blood. You can only enter into God's presence with the blood of Christ. And any other man-inspired effort that you put on that table of sacrifice will be consumed. Nothing you can put there will be good enough. All of your good works before God are useless unless they're driven by God's assignment on your life. So as we come to the table today, we're gonna celebrate the Lord's Supper. He said to celebrate his death until he comes again. And you think, why would we celebrate death? Because the truth is, if he didn't die, we wouldn't live. If he didn't die, we'd be undone. And as we have the bread, Father, I thank you for the bread that's broken. And as we come to the table today, our covenant meal, we come the blood of Christ on our lives, appealing to your mercy and your grace. Father, I thank you that you're healing every broken body, every broken heart, and every broken mind. You went to the cross to restore men and women to wholeness, and Lord, today as we lay our life at your feet, I thank you that your healing power is being released all over this room right now. And as we partake in faith, we thank you that you make us whole. Jesus' name. In the cup, the blood of Jesus. Jesus, I'm so grateful for your blood that was spilled for me, my sin, my areas of weakness. Lord, I thank you that through repentance, and by laying down weakness at your feet that you become strong in my life. And you help me to overcome temptation and fear. And Lord, as I choose to be obedient to you, I thank you for your love and your grace and your empowerment and enablement that transforms me from the inside so that as a Christ follower, I can take your love and share it with others. And I thank you, Lord, if you did that for me, you did that for my friends. You did that for each and every human on planet Earth and those that acknowledge you as their Lord and Savior. 
and receive forgiveness from you, Lord. They too can partake of the freedom that you've produced by your sacrifice. Father, I thank you that the shackles of sin have been released from our life. And today we can walk in your freedom, the power of the Spirit, and that nothing is impossible to us that you've assigned us to do. In Jesus' name. Family, we've been on holy ground today. I'm sure you felt it. You've sensed it in your heart. From the very first drum when Pastor Brian and, and Pastor Lynn and just began to worship, we were taken into the presence of heaven. And when, and when Lynn said, bravo, God, couldn't you just jump up and down, bravo, Bravo, God. Family, we are blessed beyond words. We have, we have, I have no words. So today, today, just remember the words that Pastor Arche has already so eloquently told us. The words of forgiveness. The words of just to do what we know to do. I'll just tell you a quick little story. Many years ago, Larry and I were helping to start a church. We were elders in that church. And then suddenly, someone said something to us that really offended us. Well, <laughs> I babbled, babbled and babbled and babbled for days. And Larry said nothing. Finally, said, Gene, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go talk. I'm going to go talk to him. And I said, why? Why would you, why do you even want to waste your time? And he said, God told me I need to apologize. I said, apologize? Are you kidding? Why would you apologize? And he said, because a relationship is almost broken. Today, I just ask you, dear precious family, remember the words RJ has spoken to us. Remember, if there's something that needs healing, something that needs adjusting, something that needs to change, take the step. Take the step. You are.